This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. online podcast a special edition of the bol podcast this one coming to you on the thursday after national signing day the alabama crimson tide with the highest ranked recruiting class in recruiting coverage industry history putting a lid well maybe a lid maybe still a little bit of work to be done and to talk about that with us on this edition of T. Watts and T.R. on the Bama Online Podcast, site publisher, Tim Watts. Uh, Tim, how many national signing days is this for you now in this business? 20-something? Got to be at least 20-something. It's over 20, yeah. yeah. I, I stopped counting because the, uh, the realty of it hits me hard. But, yeah, it's been a lot. I mean, uh, and it's changed so much, you know, so – we went from, you know, basically it not being a huge deal to fax cam girl to <laughs> now the, you know, the February period is sort of, it's sort of just ho-hum in a way. But, you know, we say that, but there was excitement this year and there was excitement last year. And if you think about it, it was two completely different kind of excitements. Last year, there was the, 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 the negative excitement from missing on Enos Rake Straw and McKinley Jackson, both who I felt Alabama was going to get. In fact, I know Enos was choosing Alabama the morning of and changed his mind. And uh, McKinley Jackson told the Alabama staff he was coming. So they went over to and had a great class anyways. You know, sometimes that's lost in that. This year, Alabama's coming in. Um, two guys left on the board, Kamar Wheaton, who's already committed, just had to finalize it. And, of course, Terry and Arnold, who's one of my favorites, and they uh, they go two and zero. Oh. And again, if they'd have missed both these guys, it was a great class this year. More than any year I've ever seen, Alabama was playing with house money. So just a you know just a crazy crazy one year swing uh, among everything we've seen. You mentioned Kamar Wheaton and Terry and Arnold on Wednesday. So tell us, was there really? Uh, uh, intrigue and drama involved with one or both of those guys? You know, I watched Wheaton's ceremony on YouTube and it came off as a formality, you know, that he was just simply going to sign with Alabama. There weren't hats on the table or any type of production there. And I know Hank and you hung in there with Terry and Arnold, the four star uh, composite 24 seven sports composite defensive back. I believe he's a five by us he at 24 seven sports. Um, and, and I know other outlets uh, were also maybe thinking Arnold was headed elsewhere. What, what was the real drama, if there was any, with either or both of those guys yesterday? You know, there's you know a lot of times when a kid says nothing, that creates you know that creates more drama than anything. And you know, um, 
completely against that. Uh, what's that old song line? You say it best when you say nothing at all. Well, <laughs> this situation when they don't say anything is pure speculation. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, it was like some – to me, Kamar was weird because Alabama wasn't heavily – they were recruiting him, but he's a hard kid to get on the phone. There was, he just sort of wants to be alone. He wants to be by himself. He doesn't want to be bothered with a lot of that stuff. A couple of days before he was announced in the early period, you know, I, I sort of snipped it out that Alabama was in there pretty good. He reached out to Alabama, and really the signs with him were, is he communicating? <laughs> is he even talking? Does he text you back? You know, you're, you're sort of going off that. So, um, But between then and now, I mean, I've seen the speculation, mostly from the Oklahoma side, and, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, no, you know, it's one of those no crap they're still doing. They're like, Oklahoma's still trying. Well, of course they're still trying. He's a 10-6 running back, top 60 in the country in the state of Texas. Of course they're still trying. And they were trying when they didn't get him the first time. And of course they would keep trying. So I think for Kamar, he probably did think it through. But I mean, I don't know anybody that comes up on a big decision that doesn't give it some thought. I don't think it was as dramatic as others might have wanted it to be uh, Monday. We were toy point point blank. It's Alabama. It's not a big deal. You saw the coach walked up there, and if you were waiting for some big moment, <laughs> like out of the gate saying, "Hey, you can you can cut the feed now." He's going to Bama, so we didn't even have to get to Kamar. Uh, with Arnold again, a very quiet guy. He said early in the process that um, I like the way he handled it for a, for a kid that was quiet. He went through it. He handled his business. He put the the team's out there. He said he didn't want anybody to really know. He wanted it to be quiet. So coming, you know, for me, coming down the stretch, I'm trying to read the telltale signs. And there was a lot of little signs that pointed in Alabama's favor. Um, you know, one being basketball. This kid, you know, he's a guy that's a legitimate basketball player. I've talked to SEC basketball coaches about him. I've talked to non-SEC basketball coaches about him. And they say this is a guy that could play at the next level of basketball. Um had he chose not to play football, had he just chose to go basketball, he'd have had a basketball scholarship. So this is a guy that could come in and play at Alabama. Of course, it's hard to play two sports, especially when they overlap, which, you know, baseball and football don't, don't really overlap. You just have to worry about the spring. But basketball, you're playing football while the basketball team's out there going at it. So, um, but Terry is a guy that talent-wise he could do it. I knew he had a good relationship, especially with uh, – uh, Hogson on the Alabama staff, the assistant basketball coach over there. I knew the Alabama basketball staff had made a good connection with him. I also knew that Nick Saban was heavily involved, and and uh, and this whole cycle was a whole lot of Nick Saban doesn't have anything else to do. He can entirely focus on recruiting, and look what <laughs> look what he did when he you know wow. on recruiting. You know, usually you know I think the guys so you know, focused, like we got spring, we're focused on spring, you know, everything that he's doing, you know, and a successful guy like that, he's focused on. So when there was no spring and a lot of the summer stuff was gone, I think he focused on recruiting and uh, you saw, you know, you saw that pay off. So saving being involved and um, you know, the, the, the kid really dreamed of playing at FSU. So there wasn't, you know, that really wasn't as much of an option for him. So when it came down to a business decision, it made sense that Alabama and Georgia were the last two standing. And then, you know, of course, you can't argue with any kid whose goal is to play two sports right now and make it to the league. You can't, you know, it's, Alabama's a really good sell for that. You talk about what a weird year this has been because of the pandemic and everything being virtual. 
no summer camps, as you know, we both know that's a huge part of the process at Alabama and other places. But I guess I do anyway. I tend to think of the camps probably too much in terms of the upcoming cycle, right? And uh, if it's if it's July, and I'm thinking about that that senior class going into that year cycle. Um, but it sounds like Alabama gets so many of these guys on campus as underclassmen, ninth graders, tenth graders. I, I guess there was a familiarity that had to help for Alabama, and, and might need to help them even going into this 2022 cycle. Oh, I think it helps, especially that you know it's a high profile program so when they do a weight room it's not just you know it's not just us the Alabama media covering Alabama since Nick Saban's been here we've shared them with the entire nation you know it wasn't always the case like with Shula the Alabama media were the main people covering the Shula team and um, you know even with Franchoni but with Nick Saban it's everybody's national everybody's a big deal so the the beauty of that is everything Alabama does when they when they build something you see it they do specials on the you know, how many times have you seen the waterfall, you know, in the uh, in the uh, the players uh, area? So you mm. take so much promotion. These guys are so familiar with Alabama. So even if they're not on campus, they're still more familiar with Alabama than a lot of other schools. But you're right. They do have a lot of kids that come in early um, and take visits. You know, Kool-Aid had been there 10, 12, 13 times in his career. I don't know the exact number, even though he couldn't, you know, he didn't take visits this year, but he'd been there so many times. So, yeah, that definitely helps. I think for me, and I think you'll agree, the biggest, the biggest this year from the start of, of, you know, throwing away everything that went aside with the world, but just the cycle itself, it is insane when you think that this cycle started with, Oh my God, Scott Cochran has left. The program is over. The best recruiter is gone. You know, know, I mean, we had to hear that. I mean, we literally, we, you know, we did a, we did a slideshow of the people's reaction to show them a year later that that wasn't the best recruiter at Alabama. He was still there. Nick Saban obviously was. So, you know, that cycle started there and then you hit March and I think even Alabama fans, some of them bought into the panic because, hey, we've only got that one guy, you know, you know, we got Deontay Lawson sitting over there. Hello, darkness, my old friend. (laughs) Maytag man. First weeks, six weeks, my guys out there. So obviously what they were doing was setting up. Uh, getting the new equipment for Dr. Ray and, and Blue and setting up the strength and conditioning program, setting up the Zoom calls. And once they got all that in place and Nick Saban went to work, um, the Alabama staff did a great job. And if you look at a lot of these kids, you know, the tweet yesterday that I put out, I mean, it, you know, it, it credited Charles Kelly, you know, Nate Oates, Nick Saban, Salison Sari and Brian Hodgson from the basketball team on working on Terry and Arnold. There's five pretty, pretty uh, high profile guys working the kids. So they, uh, they definitely did a good job uh, recruiting as a team. Obviously Nick selling, selling Nick Saban, selling point. You saw the leaked video. Um, what do you think about the leaked video? I thought it was as good a publicity uh, as, as Nick Saban and Alabama could have hoped for. I agree. I agree. I, you know, I, I I don't think it's something that UA it probably took their breath away there for a second. But Nick Saban is 69 years old. He is the consummate pro. He's the best to ever do it. So you knew he wasn't going to 
expose himself or the program to negativity based on a Zoom call with a recruit. Um, and it came off as it came off as professionally done. I thought it was something that he had lined up with maybe a media outlet to sort of talk about. It it, it was revealing in some ways, but it was stock in some ways, which was a good thing. And I, I thought it was received as well as you could have hoped, Tim. I, I thought I, it was great for the program. No, I agree. I think that uh, if you're taking just a, you know, a 12, 15 minute snippet randomly of Nick Saban, that's about as good as look as you could get. And also, you know, the thing about this been funny for me, like we, I've said this before, Nick Saban had that reputation of no fun and real stern and, you know, not a lot of fun to be around. And yet all these kids would tell us stories about going to the lake and riding where the gators and doing all this fun stuff with Nick Saban, Nick Saban dance and Nick Saban sing and, you know, all this stuff really, um, you know, before we had the, the phones and everything that, that uh, recorded so much. So they told us the stories, but they literally were like, coach doesn't want it out. Don't say anything or I'll get in trouble. So Nick Saban was, you know, did, sort of wanted the appearance of not being fun, of being all business. But as we've seen over the years, we've seen a little more and more come out of his personality. We get a glimpse of him. I mean, a lot of people want to point to the uh, the Texas Gatorade shower. Oh, look at Nick Saban. He's mad. He got hit in the damn head with a Gatorade. <laughs> Has anybody picked up one of those Gatorade? Those things are heavy. And that is plastic is used in bulletproof vest, I'm pretty sure. Those things uh-huh. right on the nog, and I'd be a little irritated too. So that's really apparently not him with the kids. And we saw him right there in that 15-minute snippet, and he was great. Relax. He was in his element. He was That's his element. That's his comfort zone. For so many coaches, as you know, Tim, they're not comfortable in that, in that particular area of the job. As important as it is, there are still a lot of coaches, high-profile coaches, that are either obviously not as relatable to as Nick Saban comes off in that Zoom call and engaging and, you know, willing to really take his time, right, with a prospect. A lot of these coaches, it's just like the mail that gets sent out or the emails these days or the text. Very form written, very short, and here you go. Nick Saban... More so than any other aspect of the job in watching that video, he looks comfortable. And I think that, Tim, you tell me, I think that's the most worrisome, bothersome thing for his competitors is that this guy at 69 years old on that Zoom call looks like he's totally, totally fine doing what he's doing, not only for right now, but for a while now, Tim. You know, I think a lot of these coaches now think texting's the way because, I mean, that is that is the easiest way to communicate, I think, with, with for people. I mean, even with your friends, you and I text more than we talk, um, yeah. you know, just because of the, the fast-paced lifestyle and everything we're dealing with, and it's easier. But I think Nick Saban's always struck me as a guy who'd probably rather write you a letter than text with you all day. And I think if he had his druthers, he'd want to be face-to-face, one-on-one with you. And, you know, Charles Power, who used to work for BOL as a national guy for 24-7, he made a great point. Nick Saban was doing this when Skype first came out. Nick Saban was one of the first ones we'd ever heard doing it. So this is definitely in his wheelhouse. And you're right. I mean, this went from 
the wishful thinking, you know, it started with Nick Saban won't be at Alabama long. Well, he's been here a while. And then we went to he was going to go to the NFL, and that never really happened. And, you know, you've heard him mention with Texas and other stuff, and that never happened. And then we've heard he's retiring. You know, oh, well, they lost. He's retiring. Oh, well, he won another one. He's retiring. But you and I have said all along, he just doesn't strike us as a retire and go walk on the beach and throw pebbles on the or throw pebbles on the lake. You know, I think this is a guy that has a purpose every day. And I think when, like you said, when you saw that, he looked as relaxed. That was a, I watched it three or four times myself. That was as relaxed. I mean, that that whole, hey, everybody can't play for the Yankees line. I mean, that that was you know, you know, in the movie. I mean, it was the great. It was a great scene. So I think it was good for Alabama. I doubt they were super happy about it. I don't think there was some kind of weird motive or anything. I think the you know guys probably just excited to be talking to Nick Saban. So yeah. Um, free though, I think it was a it was as good a representation as it could have been. I agree with that. You touched on a little bit of this a moment ago um, with, with the tweet that you had uh, yesterday, but talk about you know because we know Charles Huff and and the job he did and National Recruiter of the Year and he's off to Marshall now as the head coach. Jeff Banks, Carl Scott did excellent work in this 2021 cycle, but. Maybe some of the unsung heroes for this staff, and obviously Saban is the central figure in all of it, but an unsung, maybe an unsung staff hero or two uh, that you might want to mention here. You know, the thing is, like, and you're right, I mean, yeah, a lot of our recruiting rankings are, you know, because we took the subjectiveness out of it. We took the Tim and Travis's personal vote out of it. So we made it strictly based on the recruiting rankings. And a lot of that comes with Alabama as your area. And you can be, if you're in the right area, which Charles Huff was, he had South Florida, you know, he had Damon Payne, he had those areas. He was latched on to Kamar Wheaton as the running back coach. When you got guys in that area, you have a huge benefit because of what you're choosing from. But again, it is a team effort. Carl Scott did a tremendous job this year. Jeff Banks did a good job, especially Jeff Banks. It was good for him because he had, you know, and, I, and this is the thing is like, I don't think people deep do much research when they make opinions. Jeff Banks had two really hard recruiting years at Alabama. And then this year it finally paid off. Last year, you know, he finished second on 75 prospects, I think. You know, he was – Alabama was runner-up on so many. This year he did a really good job. I think he fell out of the top five. But at one point you had back-to-back-to-back Alabama guys with Huff, Scott, and um, – with banks, Carl Scott, you know, has done a tremendous job every year at Alabama. So those guys you see, but I mean, when you look and, you know, you sit back and you look at like South and Sari jumps out to me, South and Sari doesn't have as big an area or as many guys, but he, what he does, he does that old school finds three or four guys to recruit and he gets up with them. He has a great relationship with them, and he works them. And that relationship's dug deep because he's not one of those guys to quit on. You, Keanu Coat, who Alabama was on hot and heavy, Sal was on him, pushed hard for him, ended up choosing LSU. Well, Sal kept that relationship going. You know, he didn't say, "Okay, go to LSU. Good luck to you." He kept the relationship going. Keanu never shut the door on him, and then you know he ended up flipping him. Um, when it got down to the wire. Also, Sal uh, flipped him on national uh, the early signing period. In fact, Sal also was you know the lead recruiter on Terry and Arnold, which flips us over into Charles Kelly, who's another guy 
who, you know, Charles Kelly reminds me of that. You know, you get these Alabama recruiters and you got, you know, Jeremy Pruitt comes to mind. They, they are what they are. They're just country boys. They're just straight up over tackle. There's nothing to them but honesty and, they're, you know, open. And, and kids really bond with them. And I know Tarion, you know, is one who did that. But, oh, you know, overall, collectively, it, it, it really was one of the best team efforts, especially when you throw in the basketball team on some of these guys. The basketball staff also was heavily involved with Kool-Aid. And this group felt close together. You know, last year in 2020, the moms of the 2020 class, they are going on trips together, I think. Yeah, uh, Malachi Moore's mom. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. Will so- Anderson and. Yeah, yeah, those mamas, I would look up, and they were, I mean, I, they're probably taking vacations together when this <laughs> stuff breaks open, you know? Um, so really close group of parents, which is a good sign. This year, I felt the recruits themselves were super close. You saw them tweeting. You saw them recruiting. You saw them uh, talking. I know they were talking behind the scenes. I know Kool-Aid and Terry and Arnold talked a lot. And, you know, I also think with Arnold, it helped kool-aid seeing you know uh jaquincy mckinstry out on the basketball court even though he's not dressed out even though he cannot play this year he's practicing with the team and that throws the whole you'll never play basketball at alabama out the window um so i think just overall just the recruiting effort from head to toe i mean you start a class with deontay lawson who i said then to me, was the best inside linebacker in the country. He's the best one I saw. Now, that's subjective. He's he's definitely top three. I thought he was the best inside linebacker. I think he proved uh, to be that guy, first or second, in that inside linebacker group. And you start with him and you end with Terry and Arnold, who is you know a very unique athlete. I mean, that class, you really couldn't write it much better. And it hits at every level is what's amazing. Like, Oh, they're not really going to get a good quarterback. They got Bryce Young. Well, they got a good quarterback. They've got a guy with a lot of tools in place. The guy runs. He's fast. He's got a big arm. He's still a little bit raw. Um, still got to get polished, but reps in college will help a lot with that. So and then you turn around and get Kamar Wheaton at running back. I didn't ex- really expect them to find a running back good enough for them to take, because we discussed this last year, they took three and said there's not many in 2021, so we want to make sure we get the guys we like. And we got a little snippet of those guys. I mean, we saw Jace McClellan and Roy Dale Williams this year getting some run behind some some pretty talented guys. And then they turn around and get Cam Wheaton, who's a 10-6, 100-meter guy. Um, and we're not even talking about Keelan Robinson coming back. You know, he opted yeah. out in Brian Robinson, so – a running back room in mid-December was like possibly no Kamar, possibly no Keelan, possibly no Brian. Now you've got all three to go with the guys coming back. So it's a very complete class, you know, overall. It is, and you know, seven five-stars, 16 of the top 100. Uh, but kind of the reverse, I guess, from last year, because we so often look at classes in terms of immediate needs for football teams and when you look at Alabama this time around instead of defense like it was a year ago although some of these newcomers I can very easily envision taking on roles uh, at various levels of the 2021 defense but offensive tackle wide receiver you mentioned Wheaton being able to jump into that mix this summer at running back uh you said it. It's across the board. It's a hell of a class, but I'm I'm guessing we're thinking offense as much as anything, at least very early on for these guys. 
Yeah, I think when you look last year, I lo- you know, I still love the 2020 group. I'm not going to sleep on them. And I said last year, I think when you really look at it, I still think 2020 group was the best in the nation. I thought it was, it was very top to bottom. It was strong. And we felt that a lot of the def- defensive guys had a chance to step in. Why? Because they returned an entire offense of, uh, you know, everybody on, op- everybody on offense was uh, returning. So um, there wasn't really an opportunity there, you know, to, to really step in. But on defense, we saw opportunities, and we saw Will Anderson. We saw Timmy the Bear, Dancing Bear Smith. We saw – Dancing Bear. Dancing Bear. Love it. Dancing Bear, baby. And then Jamil Burroughs, <laughs> and then you saw Malachi, and you saw uh, Branch. So you saw those guys working their way in and uh, uh, playing. So you're right. Next year, you look, the Bama's losing basically a whole offense – you got a lot of guys coming in, a lot of offensive tackles. You know, you got J.C. Latham, Tommy Brockmeyer, who are perhaps the top two offensive tackles in the class. They're certainly in the discussion. You got guys coming in offense on the offensive line that are, you know, the wide receivers. JoJo Earl, you know, to me, he's he's got some waddle and rugs mixture in him. Uh, scary as that sound, that kid's fantastic. You got Ja'Cory Brooks, Haggai Hall, Christian Leary's already been called out by Dr. Rhea as someone who's getting faster, which is scary. 4-4 four, four and faster. Yeah, yeah. Legit track speed guy. So, um, yeah, you're going to see those guys have a chance to come in. And, you know, the, the thing I'm looking forward to is that, like, I would say Alabama's top four classes ever were 08, 17, and then on paper, 2020 and 2021. I don't, I don't think that's really debatable too much. Um, I know uh, Trent Richardson's class was really good, too, so you might could throw that in there. But the thing about the 08 group is they signed 111 players. And, you know, so that group at the <laughs> top, you know, you had so many guys. The top is insane. I mean, you got Ingram, Marcel, Julio. You got all those guys that went, went in the draft. But then at the bottom, you had a couple guys that never even played for Alabama, went baseball, Destin Hood. You had Melvin Ray. Uh, running backs, Ivan, uh, the pre-year, and Ivan Magic from Mobile never really contributed. So you had guys down there that you sort of knew weren't as good as the top half. You flip over to 17, you know, Tua, Judy, Rubs, all those guys, fantastic, Jedrick Wills. That top group, we knew how top-heavy it was. It's going to be a fantastic group. Devonta Smith, the bottom was still solid. I mean, you're always going to have guys that don't contribute Um in each class. Uh, but as these classes get better, like 2020, when you start looking at the class top to bottom, when you look at the bottom guys speak, speaking strictly about rankings, not on what the coaches think, because the coaches have different opinion on a lot of this stuff. There wasn't as much guys you could, you can't look at a lot of guys and go, yeah, it'd be hard for him to contribute. And at 2021, I mean, when you're talking about three of your lowest guys are like, you know, Tim Keenan, who is the perfect nose guard prospect, a big, thick, heavy kid who's quick in a short burst. When you look at Devonta Smith, maybe he's one of the lowest ones. He was a kid committed to Ohio State, a defensive back with committable offers from Alabama and Ohio State. That's a pretty big deal. And then Robbie Oots, who's still, you know, still one of my favorites. Alabama needed a tight end. The guy's a little bit you know, didn't play in that offense to really get showcased. I don't even know if he scored a touchdown this year. Every one of his catches is almost a highlight catch. I think he's uh, very athletic. Yeah. yeah, very athletic. You know, when I talk to college coaches, the biggest thing is they saw him play basketball and they all, mm-hmm. they all rant and rave. You know, me and Hank finally got 
you know, we're, you know, we needed to see something. We talked to some people and ended up getting that windmill dunk you've seen on BOL. He's a big old jumbo athlete. Um, and he's got that, a lot of these guys in this class, like last year's class seem to have that mindset of strictly business. You know, it's, I mean, you at this stage, when you when you start piling these classes back to back again, you got to have that sort of Minka. You know, I always use Minka, but you got to have that Minka mentality. You got to think, I'm coming in, I'm getting my degree in three years, I'm playing three years, I'm winning the national championship, and I'm going pro. That's sort of the mentality. You got to have that that mindset to work. Now, some of these guys, it'll take four years, even five years. I mean, you see, Mac took a different road, Smitty took a different road. Jedrick, we you know we didn't necessarily expect Jedrick to be three and done. So you've seen these guys take different roads um, to get where they're going, but most of them end up in the, the, the in the same spot. What's interesting too is with Ray and Baloo in there now, I would think the potential for even more three and outs is in play because of what these guys are capable of doing with these. Uh, incoming classes in an even shorter period window of time, Tim. I mean, it could be the difference in a four-year guy being a three-year guy with with what they're able to do from a performance standpoint uh, in, in that program. And you know, I don't want to get too much into retro classes, but I'll give you I'll give you a sneaky good class that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. And this will be fun. This is what we need to do in the off season. We need to just take podcasts and go through past Nick Saban classes one by one. Um, but 2014, man, that 2014 class, it was the nation's top ranked class. So it's not like it was 23rd or something in the rankings, but it wasn't just that you had some three and out guys like Cam Robinson at the tackle position um, and Marlon Humphrey at corner, but you had some guys that they were able to get four and five years out of like Deshaun hand, like Tony Brown, like Rashawn Evans, Christian Miller, uh, Ross Pierce Baker, uh, Cam Sims. Uh, you go down the list, Sean Dion Hamilton, just kind of looking at that class. Jaron Reed was a junior college transfer at defensive tackle. And, you know, guys in that class, they played in every college football playoff during their time at Alabama. And I, I guess that's what we're talking about too, as we get down the road with this group is the standard right now, Tim, if you do the math on it, if you're a three and out, if you're, if you end up being a three and out the over under for national championships, you're going to win in three years is like one and a half. Um, and if you're a four or five year guy, it's two. I mean, that's, that's what these guys, once they get on campus, that's the standard they're going to be looking to try to, to ascend to. And that's, that's pretty high, pretty high. Oh, I agree. I mean, that class, I mean, this Alabama class, I think a lot of people, you know, on, on signing day, obviously fans of other schools are really looking around to see where they compare. And there was a lot of discussion about this Alabama class. You could see, you know, fan bases that doesn't necessarily follow the SEC or Alabama or recruit against Alabama. Notice that that class, I mean, just it bounced around a lot. I mean, when you sit down and I haven't done this yet, but when I sit down and start with number one and go to the last guy signed alphabetically. I did it with 20, 23 or four times last year. And it was amazing. And this year, I don't think we're going to see much difference. I think we're going to be just as his vase because you forget some of these recruitments happen so fast. We never got a chance to build the hype with Jojo Earl. We never yeah. got a chance to build the hype with Keanu Coke. We never got a chance to build the hype with Kamar Wheaton, you know, because it happened. And then we're on to the 2020 class. I think it'd be good for Alabama fans 
to go back and look at some. You know, I'd like I'd like you to pick your three favorite pay, players out of this class, and I'd be surprised if many had the same three if they were being completely objective and just throwing the rankings out the window. And it may not be over, I guess, Tim. JT Tui Ma'o, who you love to hear me pronounce that name, so I kind of did this on purpose. But JT out there in the Pacific Northwest, the five-star defensive end, um, is that going to be Ohio State, Alabama before this is all said and done? Might he stay out west, Tim? You know, my guy Brandon Huffman out there has got the best read on him, and he thinks Alabama and Ohio State are neck and neck. You know, I will say I believe that's the case, but also, you know, a lot of times when a kid says he's leaving home, Every school's away from home. This guy's got three schools, USC, Oregon, and Washington, are pretty close to home. So, I mean, that's sort of what you're battling. I think this could come down to two teams where it's after he takes visits, if I stay close to home, it's this school, and if I leave close to home, it's either Alabama or Ohio State. I think that could be a way to whittle it down. Um, You know, I know there's a little bit of people upset he's delaying his decision. I don't have any problem with it. You know, I don't have any problem at all. I mean, especially in a year like this, but uh, where he couldn't take visits and, and, and all that kind of stuff. He's never even been to Ohio State. You know, he hadn't yeah. been, been to Alabama, but it was years ago. That goes back to your getting these kids on campus early. So um, I don't have any problem. And also, I think it's good for Alabama because I think Alabama's pretty confident if they're able to host somebody. I think they're pretty confident on their hosting ability and also think that if they're not able to host them, I think they're pretty confident in what he's going to see on that campus. So um, I don't think Alabama's scared of that, but yeah, they're, they're definitely in the mix for that guy. You know, you keep saying, you know, the funny thing is on the early signing period, I said, and it was misconstrued. And you know how the message board guys think I'm the, no. they think I'm the Da Vinci code. They think there's a hidden <laughs> meaning. I'm not that crafty, but I said, if they didn't get anybody else that day, that it would be a great class. And I meant mm-hmm. that, but it was a elite, great class. So they didn't get anybody else. Then they flip code, flip Earl. They land some guys, obviously a great class. Well, I said that yesterday. If they lose Wheaton, if they don't get Terry and Arnold, it's still an outstanding class. Okay, it's still a great class, but obviously add them, it takes them to the next level. And again, house money, you know, if they get JTT, um, I'll be speaking. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, won't, I won't know what to say. You know, I mean, it'll, yeah. it's uh, it'll be something else. It wouldn't shock me if he chose Alabama. I'm not saying he will chose Alabama, but Alabama's throwing a lot of 7-Elevens this cycle, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we won't get too we won't get too far ahead on uh, this particular podcast. But with the changes to the staff, uh, for to this point, offensive uh, offensively related uh, with Steve Sarkeesian moving on to Texas, taking Kyle Flood, Jeff Banks with him, Charles Huff, as we mentioned, off to become the head coach at Marshall. Has there been an early indication as to how some of these geographical areas are going to be picked up? Tim, with the changes to the staff to this point, and I guess the emphasis being on Texas uh, with Banks moving on. And, of course, you've had uh, – and Charlie on the on the roundtable there have had us updated on the potential of Carl Scott being involved for a coordinator spot at Maryland. Uh, has some of those decisions been made already as far as geographical responsibilities with the changes? I think they could have. I'm not aware of them exactly. I know they do have some areas – um, 
I know that uh, Hallman Wiggins will be doing more out on the West Coast. You know, he's from he's from uh, California, cut his teeth out there, and so he'll be doing some of the West Coast. I think Jay Graham will have part of it as well. And Gillespie, I mean, they'll be sorting that stuff out. I think it probably depends on when the staff solidified. Obviously, Carl does a bit. You know, Carl has burnt. Carl has some great areas. I mean, I tells you, he's got Birmingham, he's got Jefferson County, he's got Shelby County, so he's got those guys. Plus, he's got. Um, you know, big parts of Texas, among others. So definitely, if he leaves, they're going to have to, uh, you know, finalize and put some people in place. And also, it could depend on who they hire. So, but I mean, just getting to the hires, I remember, uh, you know, to me, it's still, I still, I don't understand the panic when assistants leave because there's always a panic and there's always, you know, not a lot, but there's enough that you're like, I hate the coaching turnover. If you hate coaching turnover, this, Alabama's really not the school to follow, probably. These coaches are in high demand. Um, you know, Banks took a lateral move, but with a big, nice raise, he's getting paid a lot of money to to, to special teams coach, you know. And, uh, you know, Flood obviously with the co-offensive coordinator, Sark with the promotion, Huff with the promotion. Um, you're going to see those guys. You know, next year I think a lot of the defensive guys could be in demand. Um you know, you're going to always hear Pete Golden's name out there. You know, Carl Scott's already already being mentioned. I know uh, Freddie Roach is pretty happy where he's at, but there's a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have shown interest in him as well. So there's going to be a coaching chamber. When they solidify that staff, I think that's when you'll see the areas uh, solidified. But um, to see Alabama get Bill O'Brien, Doug Marone, Jay Graham, Robert Gillespie. I mean, those are four huge names in coaching, you know? I mean, recruiting-wise, big name-wise, and everything else. So it's uh, it's really been it's really been crazy to watch. Yeah, I think that's where the biggest discrepancy a lot of times comes in is where the fan perspective compared to, say, within coaching circles as far as how guys, how coaches are regarded alike. Uh, Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone and Gillespie and and Graham, as you outlined, um, you know, from what I could gather, I know you're tuned into this more so than than anybody I know, really. Uh, You poll other coaches and they'll tell you Nick Saban once again, maybe even more so from the perception within the coaching circles, knocked it out of the park more with these hires than he did with even Sarkeesian or Lane or Kyle Flood. I mean, these are proven dudes uh, in their respective areas. As far as what they're being hired here to do, they're, they're, they're slam dunk hires. Oh, absolutely. These are former NFL head coaches. Um, These are former NFL head coaches who had success. I mean, Jacksonville, was knocking on a Super Bowl's door, it seemed like. Texans won the league, their division, three years in a row or something. Um, I think there's a little bit of misinformation out there, especially on Bill O'Brien. I think there's a lot more. I think some some fans have just glanced at a few headlines and think he was responsible for a lot of stuff. But there was other people in play, especially there. I'd encourage y'all to Google the guy named Easterby, who uh, oh, yeah. size writing a lot of stories about and seeing what's the cause of a lot of the Texans' problems. So I I think it's a home run. The kids are going to react well to him. It's hard to put, you know, and the thing about it is, I'm, you know, not only that are they big names, but they're really good at what they do. I mean, Bill O'Brien is a good offensive coordinator. And quarterbacks coach. Right, absolutely. That, and, and 
that's as important right now as anything else on his plate, Bryce Young and those quarterbacks, right? Absolutely. And everybody, Jalen Milrose is going to benefit from that. Tyson's going to benefit from that. They're all because they're all basically rookies. You know, because the SEC schedule, the Alabama schedule this year was so SEC heavy, Bryce Young didn't get the normal playing time he would have. He missed spring. He missed a lot of reps uh, uh, in the in the fall, and he missed a lot of playing time because there wasn't there wasn't those sandwich games where he's getting to play the whole second half after that first touchdown drive because they were still playing all SEC teams. Yeah, so, you know, you wanted to win, you had to win. Every game was so important. So, and also, you just don't want to sling him out there and you know get it, you know, get his head ripped off either. So he's missed a lot of snaps that he normally would have had because of the, the world situation. So yeah, having a guy like O'Brien who has worked with Deshaun Watson has worked with the, uh, you know, had a good quarterback at Penn state. His name's drawn a blank for me, right? Christian now. Hackenberg. He recruited a five-star and he took Matt McGloin, a former that's, walk-on and had him throw for over 3000 yards and 24 touchdowns. Was, yeah. That's the one I was looking for. That kid, uh, turned out to be a heck of a college football player. So he's going to be a huge benefit, though, you know, to him. And plus the experience. Jay Graham has been a good recruiter throughout the South. Robert Gillespie's a really good recruiter throughout the South. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of complaint. You know, if they end up, Carl Scott ends up staying, I mean, this is an A-plus staff. And even if Carl Scott leaves, I mean, obviously Alabama will get somebody else at, you know, the corners. And uh, it'll still, you know, it'll still be a, an A-plus staff. With a premium on recruiting, if it plays out that way, obviously. Hey, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back with this post-National Signing Day edition of T. Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast, we'll talk some Alabama hoops. We'll also delve, we'll dive headlong into that roundtable mailbag. Enter at your own risk, Tim Watts. We'll do that and more when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. This one, the day after National Signing Day, the February National Signing Day anyway. Travis Ryer joined by site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, as we transition away from National Signing Day and really continue to monitor the just historic start, we talk about historic rankings and ratings for Alabama football recruiting but the Alabama men's basketball team with an 18-point win over the LSU Tigers on Wednesday night, also uh, completing a regular season sweep of Will Wade's team in the process. Now 10-0 and in SEC play. And look, coming off that 5-3 and start to pre-conference play, I don't think either one of us saw 10-0. and maybe, maybe improvement because the dynamics can change so quickly uh, in sports in general. But... 10 and 0, Tim, and uh, got a big one at Missouri coming up on Saturday. You know, 10 and 0 rather easily too. A lot of comfortable games in there. I mean, that game yesterday, LSU, that was their revenge game. That was their revenge effort last night. I just, 
I, w- I thought they, you know, started out like they were put up a little bit more of a fight. That quiz quickly just sort of, you know, turned into what the, you know, the game turned out to be. But um, I think it was big to come back in that fashion. I know the OU win was an ugly loss. Um, I'm not going to blame the officials. Alabama had plenty of chances, didn't shoot the ball particularly well, didn't finish in some chances they had um, uh, late in the game. But officials certainly didn't help. That was a very sporadic crew as well on both sides against Alabama and Oklahoma. So, But Oklahoma's a tough team. I said that going in. They defend you hard. They play hard. And they were on quite the heater. Oklahoma played four top ten teams in a row, went three and one, and really battled Texas Tech there. So coming back from that win in that fashion, comfortable win, you know, uh, you know, you know, another blowout against LSU. And, again, LSU was coming off a total embarrassing loss to Alabama. And you saw them come out and try to slow the game. They were trying to do something different. And just uh, you know, you know, wasn't able to do. And these, this was a huge win, despite not big gains from Petty or Herb. You know, you didn't really get a lot of output from those guys, or even Primo. But you did get a very even across the board uh, effort. The guard play was really good. Gary con- continues to impress me. Seven rebounds. You know, six defensively when they really needed them. Um, so again, you know, that game. You know, a good win. Um, got back on the boards really hard. And uh, you know LSU's a solid, solid basketball team. That's they got they got some talent. Um, so that's you know that's a good win with the big one coming up in Missouri. And if my math is right, and it's probably not, um, <laughs> I think Alabama's magic number is at five. You'll have to check that and let us know later if you don't know. But I feel like Missouri win could make it three. Yeah, Missouri is five and three in the league after beating uh kentucky last night by five out in columbia so you only see missouri once too so if you can get that hammer on missouri with a win on saturday and yeah i mean you're it's tough at that point with, with seven games to go in the league uh to not win your first regular season sec title since 2002 and you said it about the bench with gary last night being a part of that the Alabama bench outscored LSU's 34 to 7. And with Herb Jones obviously ailing, dealing with that hand injury from a couple of weeks ago at Kentucky, more recently, some back issues have cropped up. Uh, to be able to get the minutes you got out of Gary, Keon Ellis, Javon Quinterly, you know, Herb only had to play 16 minutes last night in a game against what is essentially the second place team going into the game in the sec so the depth and i guess going back to what this staff has been able to do on the recruiting trail tim uh whether it's transfers whether it's juco whether it's uh high school guys like gary um it's already showing up big time in year two under nate oates yeah i agree and especially you know bruner was really hitting his strides so he was yeah. a you know he's a big loss and changed the game. So there was going to be a little bit of change. You know, we said this early on when they struggled that they really had to find their rhythm. They had to find their rotation. I think what we've seen is Nate Oates is really good at finding the hot hand. I mean, you never know who's going to go in and have a big night, especially coming off that bench. You know, you never know. Um, you know, he had Quinterly coming in off the bench with 10. He's a starter anywhere else. You know, you had Gary coming in. Keon Ellis is really playing some basketball, too. Now he's stepping up. And uh, playing hard, another guy getting you know rebounds, which they need. I think that key last night was to play good defense, um, 
and uh, rebound the ball because I think they felt like overall they were going to get their offense going. They were going to get their shots. LSU's not a good defensive effort team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Cam Thomas is a heck of a heck of a scorer, but he you know no rebounds, no assists. You know, he had you know twenty something points. So um, you know, I think Alabama did what they had to do. And again, you know, you take a game like that, SEC two schools so familiar with each other as Alabama and LSU are. And that's the revenge game. I mean, you got to be pretty excited to walk through that one, you know. Absolutely. And look, LSU wasn't giving up twenty-three threes again, <laughs> so they were very cognizant of the three-point line. And as a result, Alabama was able to get to the rim and get into the paint. Fifty-two points in the paint last night for Alabama of its seventy-eight total. So uh, only six threes. But if you're going to run this team off the line. Uh, more more efficient in finishing, I'd say, against LSU uh, in the paint than they were against, as you said, credit Oklahoma. That's that's a tough team. That's a Lon Kruger team. You pretty much know what you're going to get in terms of mental and physical toughness uh, when you go up against one of one of Lon's teams. Hey Tim, uh, I was going to say you, those games are important when it comes tournament time because you. You figured out how to lose it. Now you're going to know what you got to do to win those close games because Alabama's been yep. a lot of blowout games. You know, they yep. have a lot of really strong tests. So I think that's good for them. And I know you agree with me. You don't want to be on a 21 game heater going into the tournament. I've no. never seen a team win. Unless you're UNLV in 90, right? Absolutely. Or something like that. Yes, abs. Yeah, that's they were. Yeah, they were. Those are a few, but that's night. I'm talking about a team from 1990, which tells you how few and far between they are. Most unique teams in history. So yeah, uh, I think a loss for basketball. I think that does apply that it that it that it keeps you humble. It focuses you a little bit more. So we'll know more this week against Missouri. We're gonna get into the uh, the roundtable mailbag now. Without further ado, and I got to tell you, Tim. Right out the gate, as soon as I put this thread up on the roundtable yesterday, my guy, the scientist, or maybe it's the gal, who knows? The scientist, I got to respect this, didn't waste any time, got right to the heart of the matter. Flats or drums, we've had this discussion before, I think. And then also charcoal or gas, he asks, or she asks, the scientist there. So which is it again, Tim? Flats or drums? Uh, drumettes, or is it charcoal, and is it charcoal or gas? You know, I'm good with, you know, I would probably go drum because it's easier, and i definitely go charcoal. Um, I'm not the grill master. You are. I mean, it's going to sound funny. <laughs> I got a green egg, and she stole it. And, she, <laughs> and I'll tell you what the green egg did. It made my wife realize she loves to cook. And she has cooked. She takes cooking classes. She cooks all kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I don't have a problem with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm a green egg guy. I think it is a big difference in the other stuff I tasted. When it comes to eating, the easier, the better for me. So I would go drumstick. Yeah, the wife, she likes the flats. She is flats exclusive. So I just end up taking the drumettes. I'll eat either. doesn't really matter. But I end up with more of the drums and charcoal, man. Every day of the week over gas, if you got the if you got the uh, access to either um, gas is a good thing if you're in a hurry or you're cooking for a lot of people. What I'll do is I'll trick them. If we've got a big crowd, um, you know, I'll start some stuff on gas and then finish it over the charcoal 
And so they think they're getting all charcoal, but you know, just a little, just a little trick I like to use from time to time. Hey, Tim, uh, big blue cat 96 wants to know, how does this 2021 wide receiver group compare to the 2017 group? Wow. And we're already moving past, I guess the 2020 wide receiver group, which I think we both agree has a chance to still do some good things as soon as this year. They do. I think they, I think this is a the easier comparison. You had four guys come in in both classes. Um, yep. And I, I don't know. I don't think here. I don't think you can get better than 2017. I don't think you can get any better than the 2017 group. You have you got three top 15 picks. I mean, it's a you got a Heisman. You got three top team 15 picks. Two of those three guys were special team bandits. I mean, <laughs> Devonta Smith and Henry Ruggs, Ruggs played on special teams. Yeah, kind of made tackles, covered stuff. So they just built differently. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily get better, but I do think this group's going to be a great group as a whole. You got a little bit of everything in this group. It's almost similar. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to put that label on them. But if you added Waddle to the 17 group and then you put it on paper versus this, there's a lot of similarities there. You got speed guy and Larry, you got a speed guy and rugs. You got that, that, that quick kid who's got that, uh, that, uh, Waggle, and that's JoJo Earl, and that's uh, um, obviously Jalen Waddle. And then you got those bigger receivers. I mean, you got Hall and Brooks, and you got Judy and Devonta Smith, six plus guys, real smooth. I don't think I don't think you'll ever see a better wide receiver group than the Alabama 2017, simply because I don't think it can get any better. I don't mean uh, there be people to be in the discussion. If anybody can be in the discussion, which I didn't think was possible. I do think it's this group. I mean, Ja'Cory Brooks is a guy uh, caught almost 100 passes in South Florida football. That is not easy to do. I don't, I don't, I don't care, you know, who you are. That's a tough task. I mean, big kid. He runs well. He's got good hands. Went to IMG to get prepared to come to Alabama. So hats off to him. Aggie Hall is perhaps the most gifted of all of these guys. You know, he's just got to stay focused. He, you know, he probably came to the right place to stay focused and uh, uh, physical gifts are there. He's just got to be mentally tough. In his senior year, his defensive back film is as good as his wide receiver film. His wide receiver film is pretty good. So that's a guy that I think has taken steps of maturity. Christian Leary, again, has got track speed. He's just that, you know, that smaller guy that can fly. can't wait to see what Dr. Ray – I mean, Dr. Ray had calling him out on Twitter is – we're really going to make him fast when he's already really fast is impressive. And then Jojo Earl is just fun to watch. I mean, he's that guy you watched him live in the playoffs. He's, you know, he's in the wildcat. He's taking the punt. He's a, you know, he does all that stuff. You see him running the ball. He's got, so I, again, I don't think you can really be better than the 2017 group. Um, you know, Smitty was fantastic. Rubs was fantastic. Judy's fantastic. Yeah. And um, but I do think this group is has a chance to be at least discussed with the 2017 group. Who among the 2021 signees has been the biggest recruiter within the class, Tim? That's a question from Ward for Bama. You know, I feel like they all did a pretty good. A lot of them did a pretty good job. I mean. You know, in certain circumstances, I think Kool-Aid did a great job of, you know, trying to work Terry and Arnold. Um, Aggie Hall was very vocal, especially early on. I know that group talked a lot behind the scenes. There could be a guy. I mean, Devonta Smith was involved with a lot of those guys. There could be a guy I don't know about 
Um, but I think overall, you know, Hall probably is the answer, especially early on. But that group, you know, that group is one. The thing I like about Alabama and what they've turned into is you see, like, we were tweeting out yesterday that Alabama has the best recruiting class ever. Henry Ruggs and these guys were like, well, you know, don't sleep on us and I'll, I'll take us every day of the week. I like that pride's there. And then, you know, I saw Holden from the 2020 class said 2020 checking in. I like how com- these guys are even competitive with the classes they sign, you know, a little bit different. So um, I do think this was a tight knit group. I mean, there might be somebody else, you know, involved, but I know they all talked amongst themselves. All was very vocal early on, though. Out of the 2021 class, which recruit are you most intrigued to see on the field? Dioshi 23 with that question for us. Most intriguing recruit on the field. This answer is probably going to be down the road. I'm really curious to see what Jalen Milrow turns into. Um, When I watched him, he's a guy sort of – he doesn't really step into his throws. He's got a big arm. Man, when he takes off, though, he look, I mean, he's like Henry Rudd. I mean, that guy's fast. He is elusive. He is fast. He does a lot of things. I think once he gets polished and, again, working under Bill O'Brien, getting all those reps, competing with, with Tyson, competing with Bryce Young, I think is definitely going to help him. I'm curious to see what he is two or three years down the road when he gets a chance to play. So that's one that's going to be – you know, be a while in the making. I'm also curious to see what Kamar Wheaton's going to be like because I keep envisioning, you know, the thing with Alabama when they did that swing pass to Najee is that thing, Mac threw a dart. That was a very quick play. Najee just showing you what a great hands he was. He turned around and that thing was in his, you know, was in his, was in his stomach. Uh, I'm curious to see what that's going to look like throwing that to a guy like, uh, um, Kamar Wheaton or even Keelan Robinson, two fast guys. You get that ball out there, and with that quickness and speed, that's going to be a big problem. So there's a couple of guys, and they're, I mean, I could go on. Everybody, I really want to see them all. So <laughs> that's, I want to see Kendrick. I want to see what Kendrick Blackshire looks like compared to guys that have already been in the program like two or three years because for a high school guy, he looks like he's been in the NFL for two or three years already physically. Yeah. So I'm interested in seeing that dude. And then also, you know, how does he how does he transition uh, to the game at this level with so much of it now played in coverage and played in space and uh, sort of the the default uh, reaction to a guy that looks and has the measurables that he has as well. Can he can he play in coverage? Can he be an every down guy? So I'll go Blackshire there. I agree. Big physical dude. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. Um, what else do we have here? Let's see. Uh, we talked about JTT. Uh, Jay Nunn, best recruiting story you can tell uh, from this recruiting cycle. Is there something that was maybe particularly entertaining or that you found humorous? Maybe something that you knew was going on that maybe on the surface or publicly didn't exactly line up with a, a big part of that narrative or sentiment. I don't know if humorous, I think the Sage Ryan saga, you know, one of the few losses Alabama took was one of the most absurd things I've dealt with. Uh, uh, Tuesday uh, definitely was going to Alabama committed. Uh, he, he told the staff he was coming, tweeted out. He was committing uh, LSU completely caught off guard by it. All hell broke loose. I can't even imagine 
you know, what that kid's life was like for Wednesday and Thursday, considering nobody knew he was committing. Um, definitely if he wanted to go to Alabama, the best thing he could have did was try to keep it a secret till signing day to have that battle go back and forth, back and forth, put him in an awkward situation where definitely he, he said it afterwards. He wanted to go to the, he wanted to go to the university of Alabama, wanted to play for Nick Saban. That's where he wanted to go. But to have that happen all on a random five days from Tuesday to Saturday, where he's announcing on Nick Saban's birthday Ended up going to LSU. His uncle, the former player Trev Falk, whips out his uh, <laughs> he whips out his jersey. You know, when Sage commits, he pulls off his jacket. Remind me of that scene of the Five Heartbeats. You ever seen that movie? I have not. Well, there's a scene where one of the old band members he had the old sequin and he was in the band and uh, he was out. He left the band. He had some issues. When he came back, he was trying to hook up with him again. He had a trench coat. And he's like, pow, he was wearing his uniform from 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> that's sort of what Trev did. He's like, pow, I still got my jersey. Trev's jersey's so old, the the, the numbers were – his name was ironed on, and they were, they, had, they, were, they had came off in the dryer. So that's the most absurd story because, you know, we were the first to break that he was going to Alabama, and he a 1,000% was going to Alabama, told Nick Saban himself – he was going to Alabama, but then obviously changed his mind down the stretch. Ton of pressure, <clears throat> you know, on that kid. But otherwise, there. I mean, a lot of the stories are are seem to be more dramatic than they are. A lot of these kids are just quiet, and you know, we've had you know we have kids ask us, you know, and I've limited put in crystal balls because I have people, you know, I have sources ask me not to do it, um, but I still have a prediction. So, but overall, I mean, it was a pretty you know pretty normal class and high. Maybe down the road I will remember better stories, but right now I'm sort of just mentally, you know, moved on from it. Well, we're going to give you a, a chance to uh, to maybe uh, uh, detox from that a little bit here because Ghost of Bryant, he wants to know our top five or at least top three greatest television shows of all time, Tim. We'll do three. Let's just do three. How about that? Man, that's a tough. That's a tough. I, you want my three? I'll go ahead and give them to you. Yeah. The Sopranos for me is the greatest television show of all time. It just is. Um, and then I go back to the nostalgia, the formative years, because of such the impact that television has on all of us when we're young. Uh, Happy Days is a top three for me. Uh, and then my third, I'm going to choose from the sort of reality genre that has taken over to the extent that. I'm not all that fired up about it anymore, but Jackass at the time when it dropped was absolutely mind shattering. So there you go. The Sopranos, Happy Days and Jackass for me, Tim. Yeah, I will go. I think The Office is a show I can pick up. You know what? No, I'll change that. King of Queens would be my comment. Anytime I see King of Queens. Ben Stiller's dad, Jerry Stiller, is one of the most incredible actors. He was great on Seinfeld. He was great on this show. I mean, he's just, you know, just the, the whole show's good. Um, so for comedy, um, now when I look at drama, it's, it's, it's got, you're, you're right, it's got to be The Sopranos. I mean, I could say Breaking Bad, but I, I think there's never an episode of The Sopranos I can't watch. Sopranos, I can watch. I can't watch. If I see it, I can watch it. I've already watched the entire run three times and a fourth I, is coming I, I up. I'm going to watch it a fourth time, the entire thing. That's what I mean. It, every episode to me is like an individual little movie that recalls everything else that's happened. 
Um, so I definitely go with those two. And you know the, you know, a, you know, probably a guilty pleasure, and it's a recent one. I, you know, one I've really been watching is Letter Kenny. Um, I can't say that movie is. It's a T. It's a low budget Canadian comedy that's basically like Eminem rapid fire rapid, except yeah. it constantly jokes. Constant. I mean, it is a constant brunch. I've watched every episode three times, and I always catch something I didn't. So that would probably be mine. I'd be more of a humor guy. You know, there's a million things to choose from, but Letter Kenny would be something I, I could watch every episode twenty times. Yeah, the thing about The Sopranos was and still is because it's it's relevant today. It, it, it qualified a lot of times as almost a sitcom. It was funny as hell. I mean, I, I think I laughed harder at Sopranos episodes than I did at some of my favorite sitcoms oh, yeah. of all time. The writing, the writing's just, you what know, is it's, the Pine it's unmatched. Remember yeah. Pine Barrens is, Pine Barrens is the greatest episode of American television it is, it is in really, history. It's really, yeah. it's really a movie. Yeah. One hour movie is what it is. If you've never seen any episode of the Sopranos, if you're never going to watch, watch Pine Barrens. Yeah. Watch Pine Barrens. And it's it's got a little bit of everything. Got a little bit. I'm of, laughing right now. Yes, it's that good. I agree. It's a uh, yeah. yeah, very. Oh, Paul, Paulie, and Chrissy. That's as good as it gets in that one. Well, the names. The and then actors. Bobby. Bobby has to come save them of all yeah. people. But Bobby, yeah. there's so many. I mean, uh, the uncle, the mother, the sister. Oh, juniors. Oh gosh. I mean, that's the the role players. We're just as amazing as the Richie, Ra- the nemesis, uh, Tony's mom, uh, Richie, Ralphie. Uh, it just it, it, it just keeps getting better as you go through it. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. I like that question, by the way. Really, I like all of. We like all of them. But uh, here's a good here's a good one too. As we get out of here. Pa to Bama ask if you were coaching a very average high school team with no standout position groups and could add one of Bama signees to your roster, which signee Tim are you adding? If I was coaching, if I was a high school coach, very average team with no standout position groups and could add one of Bama's signees to your roster, which signee are you adding? Here's where, here's where I come in with my, my thoughts on it. And, Tim, you tell me what you think. Sure. I'm going with either a wide receiver DB type because I'm playing I'm playing this dude both ways, right? If I'm an average high school team, he's playing he's playing both ways. Or I'm going with say like uh, a Dallas Turner type because I can use him as a linebacker, just dominant playmaker on defense. But then even on offense, I can play him at tight end or even left tackle if I needed to in high school. So I'm thinking two-way guy. I don't I, know about you, Tim. I agree. You're right. I would go straight for Kool-Aid. Uh, yep. That's who I had mine. Wide receiver. But don't forget you can put him at Wildcat. Heck of a Absolutely. Defense, heck of a safety. Bring him up in the box and he can play. Return kicks. Yeah, yeah, i probably go Kool-Aid. And I'll tell you another one that's sneaky is Deontay Lawson would be without a doubt my yeah. instant backer. Controlling sideline to sideline can drop back into coverage, and don't forget this kid's a hell of a offensive player. Wild Saw him at ACA. Saw, hey, yep. That kid is not a bad looking tight end prospect if you look at him physically. Ronnie Cottrell wasn't no dummy. 
down there at Mobile Christian. When I saw Deontay Lawson in the playoffs in December here at ACA, Ronnie used Deontay about every way possible. You said it, Wildcat quarterback, H-back, linebacker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you got two guys that can impact on special teams, offense, and defense, can score some touchdowns. You got enforcer on defense, and you got an instant offense playmaker. So that'd be my two guys. Of course, there's a hundred guys you could, you know, there's there's plenty. You're not going to go wrong with any of these guys. Yeah, those two, that was my criteria too. We're about to do some Iron Man football, you guys. <laughs> we'll bring the water. Don't come off the field. We'll bring the water. Oh, me and Tim would be the kind of coaches that Mama would come talk to us after week two about her baby. Uh, oh, maybe being o- overutilized. We would ne- yeah, we would never have the mamas going. He don't play enough. Yeah. Right. Get a break. Yeah, I, if, if me and Tim had Kool Aid, I, I don't know if he'd feel like playing basketball after the football season. You know, he'd have about two hundred carries, a hundred catches, return kicks, punts, play corner, move inside to star. Kool Aid was yeah, a little bit of everything. Kool-Aid would be on my track team, my bullet team, my first <laughs> team, my lacrosse team. He would be on my basketball, baseball. For there is no prayer I wouldn't get Kool-Aid out on that football field, if, uh, baseball field if I could. Absolutely. Well, Tim, I think we're good, man. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into kind of our off-season mode, get more topical as we move through the uh, yeah, upcoming like off-season. I like that attack the classes. Let's do maybe, it. Yeah, we're going to do that. Attack the uh, top 10. We'll find a list of top 10 shows. We'll just attack those top 10, tell them why they're right or why they're wrong. And we can definitely do that as well. Absolutely. We but, can, uh, or we can have a whole show making fun of Hank and Charlie Potter. Well, that would have to be like by that's chapters. Two, yeah, you know, two hours. To two hours. Episodic. Yeah. That's, that's a Godfather episode. Three hours and eight <laughs> minutes and not the director's cut. Oh, goodness. All right, my man. Enjoyed it. Good stuff, as always. Talk to you later. One, the only, Tim Watts, site publisher, BamaOnline.com. We thank you for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Wherever you consume podcasts, you can find us. A rating and a review would be greatly appreciated as well. Also, be sure, of course, to hang out with us there at BamaOnline.com, the premium message board of choice, of course, is the roundtable. So we look forward to hanging out with you there as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryers, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.